Why do I do these? Because, well, I can. I've been part of the 10 Streamed Hooligans for years. Um, me and John have been friends for a while, and I just decided, well, I got bored again. So, uh, if you saw me last time on this channel, on this Twitch, on this Twitch stream, um, the last thing, the last video I did was actually over um, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, or the, really the Four Horsemen of Dominaria, where we talked about how each of the main artificers were uh, one representation of one of the Horsemen of the Apocalypse. So, in this Twitch stream that we're going over, okay, um, today we'll be going over the beginnings of how Magic the Gathering started. Okay, and this is a request by Zuby, also another fellow 10th Street hooligan. Um, I was throwing out there that I wanted to do a Twitch stream. And um, this will also be going on my Anchor FM channel, just the audio version. Um, and we'll probably be doing something with this on my channel, The Car Bazaar, with more pictures and all this stuff. But you guys get to see the no image uh, presentation. I'm still trying to work out um, in the future how to do Twitch streams with PowerPoints and all that so we could have more visuals. But... Um, so today's episode will be uh, the beginnings of Match the Gathering, and one of the things we need to start with is um, how I wanted to start this was having two particular people to talk about first before we get into actually the main stuff uh, of how the actual game got created into cardboard and actually is being played um, around the world. Okay, so specifically, we're going to go all the way up to the end of 1993. Um, and probably touch up on a little bit of 1994 um, because uh, this the early 90s were so dense when you talk when you talk about the creation of Magic the Gathering. Okay, first person we'll talk about um, the creator, the very first the very first designer of Magic the Gathering, and that is Richard Garfield. And Richard Garfield, um, he was a um, mathematician. He got a bachelor's of science in computer uh, mathematics. Uh, from the University of Pennsylvania, um, and he was he was very smart with numbers. He was very smart with um, calculations and trying to put numbers with some sort of meaning, as far as like uh, game design and all this stuff. Um, so he actually got his bachelor's in computer mathematics before heading over to work in Bell Laboratories for uh, for some time. Okay, now with Richard Garfield, you know. He would go back to graduate school, um, get his master's, and later on would get his PhD in combinatorial mathematics. Um, but also during his graduate studies, this is where he was starting to dabble with um, Magic the Gathering as far as card creation. You know, he didn't come up with the actual true alpha set until a little bit later on in the uh, in the early 90s. I mean, but he started the production. He started the um, designing of the sets in the early, or sorry, I should say the late 80s, okay? Now, Richard Garfield also has a little bit of famous ties, okay? His great, he is the great-great-grandson of the 20th president of the United States, James Garfield, with, on top of, you know, his, one of his uncles, one of his great uncles, technically, uh, was the inventor of the paperclip. I think also um, one of his aunts was, like, a very well-known artist and actually designed one card, um, in one of the Magic the Gathering sets, so he has a lot of he has a few ties that to famous uh, family people. Okay, oh, someone in the chat already. Urza, how are you doing? Um, we'll be, you know, I've already done the, some of the Urza story, so you're very famous right now in my department. But anyway, 
Um, yes, he has some very famous ties. Started developing uh, the early concepts of Magic Gathering in the late 80s. Um, now, when he did get his PhD, he actually went over to uh, Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington um, to be a professor, to be actually an adjunct professor, um, which is kind of like a short way of saying like a, like a part-time professor to get a job. Now, also at this time, you know, during his... Um, during the years of being a you know PhD candidate and actually getting his PhD and becoming a professor, um, he already actually created um, some of the early designs of one of his earlier games. Okay, he was actually trying to get Robo Rally produced and published. And Robo Rally is a game where um, you're trying to get to a certain destination. Um, and there's a whole lot of obstacles and random random cars. And one of the hardest things to do is like move in the game. Um, so he out, he was actually trying to get Robo Rally published first. Um, came into contact with Peter Atkinson, who was actually uh, part of the Whitman uh, Whitman College um, when he got his bachelor's degree. And so that's the connection there with uh, Peter Atkinson, the founder of Wizards of the Coast, which we'll talk about in a little bit and uh richard garfield okay now robo rally um you know when he was trying when richard garfield was trying to get robo rally published he actually did come into contact with peter atkinson like i said the founder of watsi and he went on to basically um try to get the game out there and peter atkinson basically expressed that um watsi was only was a very young company at the time and so he did not have the resources to produce RoboRally because there's a, lot, a whole lot of moving parts and um, the board and a whole bunch of other pieces that went with it. So what he expressed and said was having a portable um, game that could be used for game events, that could be used for um, like conventions and some small-time play. And this is where um, you know Magic the Gathering would start to play a more pivotal role. Now, remember, we talked about that design um, was being created in the late 80s that Richard Garfield was this kind of like more or less a side project for him but when they expressed that idea Richard Garfield basically went on to have some different concepts from like baseball cards and different uh, styles of games that were already out there to combine the finished concept of what would be one of the most famous games out there now Magic the Gathering okay now when you know, it, it's a it's a cool thing that it was. You know, it's supposed this is supposed to be a game that is um, cheap, portable, uh, could be moved anywhere. Which, for the most part, it has been. I don't think Richard Garfield and some of the other player, some of the other people involved with the beginning of Magic Gathering, would see how much things have blown up, and seeing that cards are worth twenty to twenty five thousand dollars from the original Alpha set. Um, but it happened, and it was one one of very lucky idea. Um, made people very rich, and it started basically a whole different genre, the collectible card game or the trading card game at this point in time. Okay, so also one of the things that, you know, we talked about card games, we talked about the beginnings of Magic, um, we talked about Peter Atkinson, the founder of Watsi, um, and also just to finish out Richard Garfield's profile before we get on to Peter Atkinson, is that um, he was, they were actually creating, they were you know, Richard Garfield was actually finishing up the game um, while a lawsuit was happening with Palladium Books 
and Wizards of the Coast um, over a copyright infringement. We'll get to that in a little bit. But they basically had to make the Magic the Gathering game in secret to try to kind of hide from some of the property, intellectual property issues that were being run with Palladium game, uh, Palladium, bo Palladium books and Wizards of the Coast. Uh, which leads us to our next point, Peter Atkinson. Peter Atkinson was the founder of one of the main founders of Wizard of the Coast with four of his buddies. Um, there were actually f five people that actually started this venture, started in Peter Atkinson's basement, basically to make games and game supplements of RPGs and tabletop RPGs. Okay. Now, since Peter Atkinson founded Wizard of the Coast, he actually found this in May 23rd of 1990. So very early on, um, the very beginning of the 90s, um, but it was basically a side project for most of these people, okay? Because most of these people were still having jobs. They were still having their daytime jobs. So this would be more or less uh, kind of a bigger hobby, maybe a more dedicated hobby. But people still had their main income into their day jobs. Um, I guess a lot of people didn't, you know, um, one of the great success stories is like, you know, I, don't, I didn't think a lot of these people would blow up to, the company would blow up to such a large gargantuan um, production that it is, but it did happen. But most for right now, the very beginning, people still had their day jobs. They had to dedicate little bits of time here and there. Okay, so one of the first content that Wizards of the Coast produced, right? Remember, this is still a company that has five people. Was the um, game supplement called the Primal Order? Some of you probably have heard of this, and it was basically a gaming supplement to where. Um, one of the main things about this was the cap system and the cap system was basically, um, this was Peter Atkinson's way of trying to convert numbers, information to multiple role-playing games. And so it gets to the point where, um, they have advanced Dungeons and Dragons. They have, um, what the very early sets of Warhammer, um, they have a few other games, and one of the games was called Palladium Fantasy RPG. And Palladium Fantasy RPG, this is where Palladium Books comes into play, was that since they were using um, information from their game, information from like some of their books to try to do this conversion, Palladium Books decided to hit early Wizards of the Coast with a copyright infringement lawsuit. And so this was one of the first things that happened to Wizards. Remember, um, in 1990... And, you know, very early on, the first two years, there was, you know, they were still trying to come up and trying to publish um, the Primal Order. And then about 19, the later 1992 happens, and then this law, they're hit with this lawsuit because of Palladium Books and the Palladium Fantasy role-playing game. So it gets to this point, and uh, the lawsuit lasts about uh, two to three years. Um, and... What eventually happens is that Wizard of the Coast, still early on in its production, still early on it, it being founded, basically uh, doesn't go to court. They settle out of court for an undisclosed amount of money. Like we're trying, you know, trying to look up information about this, and there's still not, you know, they still no amount of money has been disclosed when it comes to settling the lawsuit. Okay, uh, probably make a little correction real fast that probably. This lawsuit happened around 1991 instead of 1992 with like a two-year period because um, the settlement out of out of the lawsuit um, also, you know, Wizards basically turned around and then started to highly publicize and just get behind Magic the Gathering. So our next set of events 
So you have the settling of wizards um, with Palladium books and the Palladium fantasy RPG. Um, but also around this time, like we talked about earlier with Richard Garfield, is that they made contact with Peter Atkinson to make this portable game called Magic, and which leads us to our next set of events. Okay, Richard Garfield finally finishes Magic the Gathering. And then around April of 1993, you start seeing that uh, some of the first artworks, they do an open house in, you know, while Wizards is still technically work, working at this time under Peter Atkinson's basement, they did get time, they did get enough money to where they had their own portable offices. And then they finally opened up to where they did an open house in April, um, showing off some of the artwork of the Alpha set, um, it was basically kind of a ex get a first expose of like some of the different things going on. Leads us to our next point. Um, get to July of 1993. So that you're talking about the and some of you are probably looking at this Twitch. I do have sets of notes that I'm trying to keep track of, um, just so I can get a lot of this stuff correct. I usually just do an outline for some of this stuff. If I do more history stuff. I don't, I don't like to write full scripts. I'm just kind of doing this by memory. But um, the Origins Game Fair Convention, Fort Worth, Texas, in July of 1993. And this was notable because this is where you start seeing the first demonstrations of Magic the Gathering. This was the, like, Alpha Set wasn't completely finished yet, but it was almost um, completely finished. Um, and when they were demonstrating this, Wizards of the Coast already did have other products at the time. And so when you had... Uh, the demonstrations of Magic the Gathering, people were very, very much intrigued by this game where you have to, like, you know, turn lands. Well, we're used to, like, turning lands and getting mana and uh, producing creatures and enchantments or artifacts or whatnot. But this was a very new thing for people, and people were very fascinated by this. Okay? It got to the point where there were people were so fascinated by this that the pre-sales of Magic the Gathering, within the first couple hours outsold every other product that Wizards of the Coast had, okay? So it's a very positive reaction when you're talking about um, this very new game that's still, you know, when we talk about Alpha and Beta, they still had a lot of problems like overpoweredness and stuff, but people were very intrigued by this and people were very like, very much wanted to get into this. So they put money into pre-sales, all that fun stuff. All right, we get to next month, July. Uh, sorry, we already talked about July of 1993, the Fort Worth Convention, the Origins Game Fair. And now we get to August of 1993. Okay, so this comes to the point where Peter Atkinson, like we said, founder of Wizard, one of the founders of Wizards of the Coast and, you know, CEO at the time, um, he and his wife actually promote um, Magic the Gathering in different states. Now, looking up the information, technically speaking, August 5th was the official public release of Alpha, of the official Alpha set, the official 295 card set. This is this happened during their, you know, Peter Atkinson's wife traveling around five different states. Okay. And they were showing off, they were demonstrating how the game works. So early in their demonstrations was the public release where they were actually going to sell um, starter packs and they were also going to like the 60 card starter decks and the booster packs. Okay. So this was a like two-week ordeal where they're demonstrating five different states at different conventions, and basically everyone was behind this game. And it got to the point when well, Alpha was officially publicly released, it didn't take that long to sell out. It didn't take that long for all the cards to basically be bought out. And mind you, you know the Alpha set had 2.5 to 2.6 million cards 
that were produced in this game, in this particular set. In the very first set, 2.5 million cards. And it got to the point where, you know, yes, there were still there were mistakes in this, and we'll go over that in just a second, to where beta, they had to triple the production um, two months after the public re release of the alpha set. Okay, so talk about the alpha set now. Okay, so we're still in the August realm, and we're going to talk some specifics about alpha. Okay, alpha currently right now, if you wanted to get a sealed booster box of alpha, one you gotta have to try to find it because they are very difficult to find. If you two, if you do find it, you're gonna be probably running between a price tag of anywhere between sixty-seven and about eighty-two thousand dollars. It's a ridiculous amount of money. Um, you could buy a luxury car with this, um, but it is one of the first trading card games and usually when you are a first of anything you know and years down the road it becomes highly valuable and so alpha the alpha set for magic the gathering was no question about this okay like i said earlier 295 cards um we were talking about problems between the alpha and the beta set um some of the problems that happened were volcanic island which is one of the most well-known dual lands um out there um, was not put into this set. It was left out by accident. Along with Circle of Protection Black, which is used in, in a lot of, was printed in a lot of earlier core sets, which started out in this one. Also on top of that, the Alpha set also had basic lands. They had three sets of basic lands, um, but uh, three different sets of basic lands. So like different styles of artwork, and one of them from each of the basic lands were left out. So where you get the 295, between the 302 from the beta set those were the, those were the cards that were left out so one whole set of basic lands volcanic island circle protection black were left out by accident okay um also on top of that was the name and the lawyering um with all the stuff um as far as getting the product produced and how it's going to sell and have how to have a brand um be put out there where people are going to notice it very fast um the original name was going to be just magic, just a generic magic. That's what it's going to be slapped with, okay? But as far as like, a, you know, when they were consult, when Wizard of the Coast was consulting lawyer about lawyers about this, that mana was magic was too generic uh, to have a copyright to have a trademark posted to it. So after that, Wizard of the Coast basically, you know, they changed the name to Mana Clash. Okay, and so Mana Clash lasted not very long, but people were still calling uh, Mana Clash, they were still calling Mana Clash magic. And so they reverted back to, they've reverted away from Mana Clash, and then eventually they settled onto the name of Magic the Gathering. And today, Magic the Gathering has been around for 25, 26 years, still going strong. Um, a huge pop, a, a lot of people, and now that Magic the Gathering Arena is a thing getting into the digital age now there's more and more people getting involved with this so hopefully if people see this twitch or people see the link to these broadcasts and the uh the stuff that i do hopefully they'll get invested into this and see kind of the beginnings of match of the gathering um for now past the name so now magic the Gathering has been established also around this time you know rules were kind of being uh very very much tested um the four copies the four copy rule that everyone's used to now was not a thing. Was not a thing until 1994. Um, it got it got checked out very quickly, but there was a particular time when four copies of any card, with the exception of lands, um, that was not actually not a thing yet. You could have multiple copies 
um, four plus and however many copies of lightning bolt and black lotus that you wanted um, but uh, that was a thing you there were no there was no four copy limitation at this point in time um, anti was also a thing where if you uh, dueled another player if you uh, compete against another player that um, a particular card and this was probably uh, before the match even started like you had a you basically had to pick a card from each person's deck that would be the card that would be added up that would be bedded so if you lost your match against that person they would take that card that was chosen beforehand away from you okay um, we talked about other stuff how how alpha and beta alpha was being sold 60 card starter decks 15 card booster packs which would later become the standard for magic the gathering uh with the exception of a few other packs um earlier in the series like like arabian nights was like eight cards um but the 15 card booster pack that would be a standard for most of magic's history okay on top of that there are multiple mirror pairs and if you don't if you've ever seen the card anthology series on my channel the card bazaar um, we talk about mirror pairs we talk about um the cycles we talk about um strictly better cards we talk about all these different things um and this is where the cycles and the mirror pairs and the notable cards get established mirror pairs are when you're talking about enemy colors like white and black red and blue um where if you look at the mana chart they are opposite of each other and so when you're, we're talking about mirror pairs um, some of the most famous mirror pairs, um, and you can probably actually see this on my the original card anthology episode that we produced like three years ago. Um, so some of the mirror pairs, some of the most famous mirror pairs, like White Knight, Black Knight, um, it's two two creatures for two of a particular color, either white or black. Earthquake and Hurricane, which were staples in core sets, this would be make its first appearance in the Alpha set. Lord of Atlantis, Goblin King, another highly um, famous. Uh, mirror pair and then also Sarah Angel and Sanger Vampire which Sarah Angel would be actually one of the most notable cards early, early like 1993 1994 1995 considered highly powerful and was actually eventually taken out of core sets uh, for some time then as far as notable cards you know being that this is in you know anywhere between $67,000 for a set you know cards like that you know cards in this set are going to be super valuable you know, one of the most notable cards out there, Black Lotus, where you it's an artifact, you tap and sacrifice, and you get three mana of any particular color. I mean, that was highly powerful. You get some very powerful stuff in that first round of play, okay? Um, another one, Wrath of God, Swords of Plowshares, Demonic Tutor, you know, stuff that, you know, like Swords of Plowshares was a single spot removal. Wrath of God just destroyed everything. Armageddon destroyed all lands on the entire field. Demonic Tutor basically lets you select a card. Lightning Bolt giving you three damage to any target on the field. Soul Ring, you know, you paid one mana and you could immediately tap it and get two mana. It's a commander staple. Um, these were all created in, first introduced in the alpha set. Okay. And then other powerful cards like Time Twister, um, Wheel of Fortune. Um, the Moxen, which are like artifacts that co cost nothing to put on the field. Okay. And you can immediately tap them and also have another land. So you could basically have two land at one time. Um, and it was, it was, it was some, you know, a lot of it was broken. Um, even though like Richard Garfield was a very, very smart person um, when you're talking about you know math and you talk about numbers and combinations of numbers 
Um, there were still some problems and there were still some things that had to be worked out, which would be later worked out in the other sets like the Dark and Legends, um, some of the earlier sets before it got actually balanced out. Um, people were always, you know, talking to other people. People were bad-mouthing like the Dark and like the those um, sets after like Arabian Nights, they were like too underpowered and they were too, because they had to follow an act like Alpha, Beta, Unlimited. Okay. But... There were some very powerful cards, and some of these cards are worth thousands of dollars, especially if you have a mint condition, original, um, one of these rare Power 9 cards. Um, it was absolutely ridiculous. Like Ancestral Recall, going for thousands of dollars if you have um, an or original, or even like an original Alpha or an original Beta card. Um, they're still worth, very expensive, and people are highly seeking them, especially collectors. They're highly seeking them out. Um, but yeah, the Alpha set was basically a broken set. Um, have you know has been for forever and nobody's come back to a lot of these cards a lot of these high power cards because um, the numbers were just way off the efficiency was way too high the mana cost efficiency was way too high okay now we're talking about that the copies of alpha and beta two and a half million copies being sold super fast uh, so we get to october of 1993 um, we get to the beta set, the next the next core set in Magic the Gathering's history, and so what I was telling you about was seven seven and a half over seven and a half million um, copies, and probably closer to seven point eight, or maybe even closer to eight million, but about seven and a half to eight million copies of beta were released to try to feed um, this large demand of this new game, this large demand of this highly. Um, very intriguing, very popular game for a small portion of the United States. Okay, so Beta would be released, and Beta would also have um, Volcanic Island and Circle Protection Black uh, back in. Um, they found that correction earlier on in the Alpha set. They also decided that to put the other sets of the basic clans that were left out of Alpha, and they were going to be put into this as well. Um, Alpha also had a lot of misprints. They also had a lot of things that went wrong. Um, most of these were um, giving authorship to the authorship of, authorship of cards to the wrong um, people, the wrong artist. Um, that was a lot of the misprints, but there were some sometimes like uh, certain cards would have the wrong toughness, or they would have a switch power and toughness um, back and forth. And even when you get to the beta set, I mean, they didn't catch everything. They didn't catch everything out of the misprints. Uh, they still left out like three or four cards that uh, were not seen until like later on, like later down the road. Okay. Now with the demand of uh, beta, beta was still sold out pretty decently quick, which leads us to the next core set um, two months after this. Um, December of 1993 would be not only important because uh, for Magic the Gathering because it was not just the release of the Unlimited set with the first white-bordered set, but it was also the release of the very first um, expansion. Um, some of you probably already know what I'm talking about. We'll get to that in a second, but Unlimited was printed um, white-border cards, and white-border cards for core sets would be very, very much a big thing for core sets for you know part a good portion of the 90s and even up to some portions of the 2000s and so um the white border sets were released it was the first time ever more printing than the beta set to kind of fill that need and unlimited was basically um the correct version of it was the corrected version of beta 
with just a different spacing on the outside with a different color on the outside. And so this is just to kind of fill the rest of the demand uh, for what people wanted in, in this new game coming out. And then Arabian Nights gets dropped. So very the very first week, probably December 1st, December 2nd of 1993, that's when Unlimited gets released. And then Arabian Nights, the very first um, the very first booster set, the very first expansion, um, it was not actually that big. Um, when you're looking at the set for Arabian Nights, they say 92 cards. However, really and truly, it's 78 unique cards that get added on to the Magic the Gathering collection because 14 of them um, were either misprint or miscolored, but collectors like to... Um, they like to see the misprint as something that they want for their collections. But really and truly, Arabian Nights was a 78-card expansion. Actually, the shortest expansion still to date. And But this introduced uh, new cards. This also introduced, um, and probably actually one of two times when you take into Portal 3 Kingdoms later on, that this is going to be based off a real-world setting. Arabian Nights was based off the 1001... Uh, the 1001 Nights, um, you know, from the Arabian stories, from the Middle Eastern stories um, that are very popular in just world culture. Okay, um, so these were based off uh, real a real setting, a real world uh, scenario. Um, some characters that were involved with the 1001 Nights um, were actually like a lot of the characters, like Aladdin and. Ailey of Cairo were actually from these stories getting brought into card form. So that was a very unique, uh, very different thing. Uh, not a, I shouldn't say a very different thing, but um, this would be the only time, one of the few times, one of two times actually, that they would use like a real world setting for magic cards. Um, Arabian Nights, you know, if you've ever checked out the my the official website, thecarbazar.com, we are actually doing the Magic Gathering top performing cards of each set. And Arabian Nights doesn't actually have a whole lot of power to them. Um, with Arabian Nights, out of the 78 cards, you're talking about probably six or seven that still have either seen a huge play at the beginning, which maybe might be like one or two cards. Or when you look at the total number, uh, there's like six or seven that are still being used in other formats in this whole 25, 26 period that we're talking about um, Magic the Gathering. So Arabian Nights, you know, while it was the first expansion, it was a very short set, something that needed very quickly because the demand was still there. Um, it was it was still a small set, very, um, for the most part, unimpactful as far as the whole um, game goes. I mean, it was the first true expansion, um, and it wouldn't, you know, one of the ways I see Arabian Nights is that, you know, while it's cool to have, like, these historical aspects, these, you know, our real, our world um, going into this set, you know, Antiquities would, later on after this set, would be the set that would actually start getting the lore of Magic the Gathering that we would find out later, um, into the set, but this is more of a real world, like based of our, based off our stories, based off like you know our culture stories. Okay. Um, also, you know, looking at um, some of the stuff, you know, I have my notes right over here. The Book of the Thousand Nights was that's what it was based off, um, but it also introduced the Taser storyline, and 
Armada Comics would later come into the picture. But Taser story, um, some of you already know about like Taser from the earlier sets of Magic, from the earlier stories of Magic. Taser would be a recurring character in the 90s and the 2000s. And he actually started, his name gets actually mentioned in this set. So that's cool about that. Um, some of the big cards out of um, some of the big cards out of Arabian Nights, the Bazaar Baghdad um, Library of Alexandria, which still gets used sometimes in Vintage and Legacy. Um, you also have uh, Juzam Jin, which was used early on and doesn't really see as much play anymore. City of Brass, um, City of Brass still gets used in Commander a lot because whenever time you tap it, um, you take one damage, but you could add any one color mana uh, to your mana pool. And also Ernam Jim, which was used in Ermageddon. Uh, the com combination of using the Alpha Beta Unlimited card Armageddon to destroy lands while you have Ernam Jin on the field and just to continuously swing at your opponent and really there's nothing that your opponent can do about it. Very early strategy on um, when we get to 1994. Also for this, Arabian Nights also, this was when they were trying to dabble with the card back. Um, the card backs that you see now with the brown and with the five stones with, the, uh, with Magic the Gathering on them. What they were, what Wizard of the Coast was trying to do was each set have a different kind of card back, and so when you look at the rejected card back in the, in the wiki pages and some of the his, you know, some of the Magic history pages, it shows you the rejected card back, and it's more of this purplish, um, purple and yellow or purple and gold um, kind of fixing to it, and you know, people just, you know, liked the original card back from the Alpha Beta Unlimited set. And it would just be a staple. It would just be a standard from now on. So every single card that you see produced has this original, for like 25, 26 years, has this original card back. Um, it's not going to get changed every year. Um, this is why they have set symbols and uh, set numbers to where you could distinguish which sets and which expansions each card was coming from on the front of the card. Along with a lot of times what like the names of certain cards. like You could kind of figure out which set some cards were coming out of and then also arabian nights while it was a 78 card set had 5 million copies to it so nowhere near like the number like it was definitely double the number of card copies um to alpha and beta but since it was such a it was four times four times as less cards as alpha beta unlimited you know it produced double the amount of alpha so like getting the same copies of cards it would kind of mix and match the demand as far as like, oh, people might not be buying as many packs, but more people are going to be probably interested in this card game. Okay. And also with the last tidbits of 1993, um, you know, right now, Arabian Nights, you try to find a, a set of Arabian Nights, you try to find a booster bag of Arabian Nights, you're probably looking at fifteen to $20,000. It's still, you know, while it's the first expansion, not nearly as much you know, as going for like an alpha set, it's about, it will probably cost you about four times less than what you could try to get for an alpha set, you know, beta unlimited, probably around the 50, $60,000 range. As far as beta goes unlimited, probably about half that, but there's still very popular cards in that set. People are still, you know, get excited going on Twitter, getting like, Oh, I have now a complete set of dual lands. Or even some people are just getting like tropical Island or Taiga or Tundra um, because those cards are worth hundreds of dollars now um, compared to when they started off with. I mean, when these cards were first produced, I mean, they were, you may be talking about like, you know, five or six dollars very early, early on. And then even at the end of 1994, they were still very much affordable. 
like some stuff not even going above like $15, $20. And now these dual lands are going for a ridiculous amount of money. It is absolutely insane. So people get excited because they save up enough money to buy one of these original like dual color lands. And it's absolutely amazing. So um, basically, um, just want to give you a little bit about kind of an overview of like just, you know, how the beginnings of magic started. Um, if I keep doing this on John's channel, we'll probably go over each year and some of the significance of like some of the different things like certain expansions coming out, certain players, certain deck types, um, stuff like, you know, if we talk about nighttime four, nighttime five, talk about, you know, red color wins. Um, but this is kind of just a, you know, a stream to talk about little bits of magic and hopefully if, you know, stuff like this finds its way over to different people like younger kids or people are just very interested in, in like magic, not in basically like the certain card aspects or like strategies, but just the overall history of like in in small, you know, like not like three or four hour videos, obviously, but a good 30, 40 minutes you know, just kind of like get them in bite-sized pieces. I mean, that would be a really cool thing for, you know, some some of the younger kids to look at. Some of these kids are coming in have no idea like the history of magic. They kind of research it. Even, even, hell, even when I was researching this, um, with doing the stuff with Richard Garfield and, um, you know, Peter Atkinson and some of the people who were first producing these, there were some, you know, conflicting things or like dates would not be exact or dates would just be, uh, rough around so it took me a little bit of time to kind of um, get these down um, but basically if you wanted to do a shorter version of this um, basically looking at the outline of match of the gathering um, Richard Garfield Peter Atkinson Peter Atkinson founder of Wizards Richard Garfield the lead designer the person who created magic um, how their um, game designs their love for like Dungeons and Dragons getting you know and their love for games getting to the point where they stumble upon um, one stumble upon making one, you know, using their PhD in, in math to make these cards to make where it's highly competitive, highly interesting. And Peter Atkinson coming along, um, producing it and, you know, advertising it, getting it out there to where it is one of the best and biggest and most profitable, uh, profitable games out there. So, and then, you know, just the last bit of, you know, if you want to do another overview of this, just like how the alpha and beta sets were you uh, were made, created, um, what was in them, along with Unlimited and Arabian Nights, how they were the first, how Arabian Nights was the first expansion and all that stuff. So that is all I have today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this Twitch stream. Um, again, you'll probably you'll probably hear this if you want to hear this in audio, in podcast form or audio form. Um, I'll probably put this on my Anchor FM podcast. You can look up Anchor FM, uh, look up my channel, The Car Bazaar, and you'll see that all my stuff from the YouTube channel is there in audio form. So if you want to listen to the Card Anthology series, you can go ahead and do that right now. I actually posted them uh, last night and uh, this morning. Um, so also the MTG timelines, the history of Dominaria in audio form is done. It definitely is better to just see it in YouTube form where you see the videos right now. The MTG timeline is at 275,000 views. This was a video that I made two years ago. Um, definitely better with the, with the, with the, uh, visuals history of Dominaria sitting at 33,000 and it's much better to just look at the stuff. But if you do want to hear them in audio form, go to anchor.fm, the car bazaar and all that stuff's right over there. You could also listen to what I've been doing is the audiobooks, 
which I'll actually be starting the Gathering Dark um, this next uh, this month. When I as soon as I get the um, some time, start doing the recordings for that. Um, we're gonna keep continuing uh, the audiobook stuff on my Anchor FM on my YouTube channel uh, to kind of just. Um, get this stuff going to get more people interested in the lore and you know also later on can compare lore um, from the past to what we have now so if you want to look at that if you want to go to my youtube channel it's called the card bazaar um, you could also go to the official website to get some of the stuff like the best performing cards um, both audiobooks the thread and the brothers war are available publicly um, you can listen to those right now. If you go to thecarbazar.com, um, it's a resource site for Magic Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, also 3D printing. If you've seen some of my stuff um, doing with that on like Thingiverse, um, but go over to those websites for more information on this. Um, also, with my Twitch channel, um, I'll probably be starting to do different videos of this. Um, if I have time to stream, I'll be doing it on um, the Carbazar Twitch channel. Um, but I do love doing these for John. John is a really good person. as He's a great friend. Um, help, we're helping each other out trying to uh, get bigger and um, trying to get more attention to some of the issues and some of the things that we do with our content. So if go over to John's channel, uh, they said we said on YouTube. You could also just stay on this channel and look at some of the stuff that I do, that I do and that we do on 10 Street Hooligans. Um, but go ahead, stay there. Um, You'll probably be seeing me randomly pop up every now and then. I do ask permission for John to invade his channel, which he doesn't mind. Even if I don't ask permission, I'm going to invade his channel anyway, like I did with the Four Horsemen Theory. Um, but yeah, that's all I have for you guys. If, uh, if you want to contact me in any way, just uh, follow me on the Carbazar CC on Twitter. Shoot me a message. Um, you go to my website. You can also email me from there too. But that's basically all I have, guys. Um, Coach signing out, and I will see you all next time.